Well, church family, let's once again bow our heads as we prepare to receive the word of God this morning. Father, we again uh, just uh, bow our, our hearts uh, and our knees before you this morning. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help every thought to be captive in these moments this morning we have uh, as we open up your word, which is truth, uh, that your spirit would teach us, that your spirit would uh, make these uh, words uh, alive in our lives, uh, because uh, this book is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, it's not just a textbook. It's not just uh, a book of knowledge. Uh, it, it has a, an outcome. Uh, it accomplishes great things, uh, not only for salvation, taking those that are dead in their trespasses and sins and making them alive in Christ uh, as they see the reason why your son needed to come and to offer himself as that once-for-all sacrifice. But even, too, for us as believers today, it gives us the ability uh, to live the Christian life, to see that you have overcome death itself through your son, uh, that you have given us the, uh, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Uh, and so as we take a look at this next section in Ephesians chapter 2, where we see Jesus is our peace, Jesus is our peacemaker, and Jesus is our passport. Uh, Father, that, that would be real in our lives today, that we will see the great work that Christ accomplished, so that the words that he said uh, as he finished his uh, time here on earth, that it is finished, uh, that he did accomplish everything that he was sent to do. Uh, and Father, we thank you for that truth, and we ask that that truth would inform us today, that it would uh, keep us uh, focused upon you in the days and weeks to come. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you haven't already. Uh, and by way of introduction, as we consider uh, this section that we're in, which uh, began in verse 11 uh, uh, two weeks ago, uh, you'll remember that we talked about uh, the fact that uh, because Christ had uh, called out uh, his chosen uh, people, Israel, uh, a, a people that he chose not because of their number or their strength or because there was something uh, there to choose, but because of God's love, he chose them. Uh, that uh, we, we see as we approach the New Testament and as Christ uh, comes, as we l- looked at the text last week, uh, we see that everyone that is a non-Jew, a Gentile, was uh, separated or far off, as uh, Paul penned, uh, from the promises that are in Christ Jesus. So there was an ethnic separation that we saw last time uh, in verse 11 that separated Jews from Gentiles or Jews from Greeks. Uh, and also in chapter uh, 2, verse 12, we saw that there was a spiritual separation uh, there where it says, remember that you uh, were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Uh, and so we see that Christ in coming accomplished something that would be uh, not, uh, well, would be miraculous in itself uh, because he was going to take that which was a separation and remove it. Uh, He was going to break down not only an ethnic separation, but also a spiritual one, uh, so that Christ would be Savior of everyone who believes in him, whether they are Jew or Gentile. Uh, And we see that in verse 13, where it says, But now, 
In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, And that's our context for today's uh, section, which will be verses 14 to 18, uh, as we take a look at three aspects uh, that I uh, have labeled in uh, three Ps, so hopefully those that like uh, those connective things, you'll be able to remember today's sermon, that Jesus is our peace, our peacemaker, and our passport. And so let's take a look at verses 14, uh, 15, and 17 as we take and consider Jesus our peace. It says, therefore, he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And then skipping down to verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So there's a much needed distinction here uh, that we need to see as we consider Jesus uh, is our peace. See, peace can only be had through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's no other thing that man can do to remedy his situation of being dead in his trespasses and sins. The only way that he can have peace with God is through the alone one source, and that is Jesus, God's Son. So it was imperative that Jesus Christ come uh, as the one who would bring peace, because he is that source. Uh, Jesus did not just broker a peace deal, as we see uh, you know, in our history as a, a, a world, you know, uh, looking back at, at people that would take the time to maybe broker a peace deal between two warring factions or countries or things of that sort. Jesus, he himself is our peace. So if you don't have Jesus, you have no peace because he alone is that peace. That's why in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, as uh, part of looking forward as the prophet Isaiah uh, proclaimed, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Because Jesus is our peace. He is alone the one that can bring us the peace that we so desperately need as those that are at one time at war with God. Uh, if, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He he is the channel through which, he is the source through which our peace with God comes. So there is nothing else that you can manufacture, there's nothing else that you can pull together that is going to bring you peace, whether here on earth or between you and God the Father. You'll notice there in in, uh, uh, verse 15 it says, us both, again, Paul is showing that this separation that once separated the Jews from the Gentiles uh, is something that Jesus is going to eradicate because he's going to take the two and make them one. Because in relation to our sin before a holy God, both Jew and Gentile, both male and female, both slave and free are all on the same level playing field. We are all guilty. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so only Jesus Christ, who is the source of peace, can rectify that problem. 
And so what Jesus did and even what his disciples did even after Jesus uh, ascended into heaven was that of preaching peace. You'll notice in verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, again, referencing the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, which would have been the Jews, which have been uh, God's chosen people. And we can see this reiterated in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 10, verses 34 and following. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand uh, that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So it doesn't matter which nation you're from, whether Jew or Gentile. Verse 36 says, uh, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So not only is Jesus the source of peace, he preached peace to the world. He made it very clear that the only way that you can have the, the peace that your soul desires, that everyone tries to fill with all kinds of other things that this world offers, remembering that you are a spiritual being first and foremost, that you have an eternal soul, that only God can fill that void, only God can bring you the relief from the hostility that you have created by your sin, that separation. Only Jesus can bring you who are far off or those who are near together as one. We're reminded in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 6 to 8, this, this difference of a mind that is set on the flesh and the mind that is set on the spirit. Listen to what Paul wrote here at Romans chapter 8. He says, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, that's why Jesus Christ had to come. Because all we can do in our flesh is still going to make it so that we cannot please God. All fall short of the glory of God. All fall short of pleasing God because of our sin. The thing is, it's coming from a tainted source. Because no matter how good you think you are, no matter how hard you try to be good, you have to remember is that it's still through a sinful source. And that's why Jesus, whose source is pure and is righteous and is holy, can bring you peace. See, we can't do it ourselves. We cannot do it in the flesh because in the flesh, it's death. But in Jesus Christ, it's life and peace, a peace that passes all understanding. Well, notice there also in verse 14... He says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So those, those two words translated broke down in your English text comes from the Greek word luo uh, and means by implication. So this is the definition of what luo is in Greek. It is to destroy, to demolish a building 
Uh, and and we, in the Greek, it is also in the aorist tense, which uh, in Greek, aorist means that it is a completed action. So Jesus has broken down. It is done. It is complete. It is finished, what Jesus Christ did in breaking down this dividing wall. So Jesus, in his perfect humanity, broke down the dividing wall, the spiritual dividing wall, the physical dividing wall, the mental dividing wall. And the interesting thing is, and as you take a look at the temple, if we go back to uh, the first century, and I know it's going to be really hard to see, so I'm going to utilize the pointer here so you can kind of get an idea of the overall footprint. But Jesus broke down, he, he demolished, he destroyed through his death, burial, and resurrection all that separated man, not only on a horizontal level, but also on a level between man and God. So to give you an idea here, if you're not familiar with this, but this is the temple here, the temple proper, okay? And the thing is, is this gate uh, uh, wall here separated the Jews from the Gentiles because you'll see here it says Gentile courtyard. And that Gentile courtyard went all the way around the temple. So there was a separation here by a wall between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, And then you take it in a step further, Because there was a whole bunch of other separations uh, that were not between Jew and Gentile, but were separations within uh, the Jewish world. Because there is a woman's court here, uh, and then there's also uh, a men's court. So there was a separation between the men and the women uh, amongst the Jews. Uh, But also between that, there was a separation where there was a priest courtyard uh, that separated uh, the priest from the men. And then also within this outer courtyard, there was a separation between the priest and the priest of the day. Okay, and then there was also, or the priest on duty, I should say, not the priest of the day. Uh, But then also in what we would consider the Holy of Holies, where the temple veil that we we talk about in relation to when Christ, you know, uh, died that the temple veil tore in two. That is the veil that the high priest, which was also another separation from the the priest on duty and the priests that were in the the priest courtyard, where the high priest could once a year go into the Holy of Holies to offer a sacrifice for the people to God. And so think about all these separations. So a separation from the uh, Gentiles to Jews, from women to men, from men to priest, to priest, to priest on duty, to priest on duty, to the, uh, the high priest, all before access to God. It's a lot of separation, isn't it? But see, that's exactly what Christ broke down. That is exactly what Christ destroyed, what he demolished. So that there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no more any of these separations that man is even established to separate themselves from one another. Because in Christ, who is our peace, who is the source of our peace, breaks down all those things. He destroys them. That's why in relation to a man to God, the temple veil tore in two. Because there was no longer a separation because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He brought us into the very holy of holies. He brings us into the very presence of God through faith and trust in him and him alone. See, he is the source of peace. And you'll notice there in verse 15, it goes on to identify, you know, how, you know, this this happens. How does this breakdown happen? 
which says, by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances. Okay, well, well, this brings us to two separate things as we take a look at the moral law uh, as well as the ceremonial law. Uh, you remember I told you that there was a, a, a definitive separation between the children of Israel and the rest of the Gentile world. Well, see, the moral law reflects God's holiness, his justice, and his unchanging nature. Because it is that law that God will judge every human being, past, present, and future. Uh, that law is uh, written on the hearts of all people, so that even those who uh, do not know God, who reject God, they still have a moral compass. They, they still establish some right or wrong in relation to the world in which they live. And the reason that's there is because the, the law of God is actually written on the hearts of all men. That law God will use to judge all people. Then you have the ceremonial law. This is the, the, the law that actually separated the children of Israel out from all the other nations of the world because it included a, a sacrificial system. It had all kinds of ceremonies, feasts, festivals, dietary and clothing restrictions. Uh, there was a Sabbath day of rest. There was the sign of circumcision, which we talked about two weeks ago, as well as Passover. See, so all of these things, all of this ceremonial law, all of this moral law, it says here, by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances. Now, I know some of you are sitting here thinking, well, wait a minute, Pastor Bill, didn't you preach in Matthew uh, chapter 5 that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but came to fulfill it? Well, I'm glad you remembered that. Uh, because you're absolutely right. So we, what we have here is a seeming contradiction. So how can Jesus abolish the law and commandments and ordinances and also come and you know, not abolish them and fulfill them? Okay, well, the answer is simple. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So how did Jesus, who is the source of our peace, all of a sudden, you know, abolish the, the commandments or the law of the commandments and ordinances, but at the same time, not abolish them? Okay, well, the answer is simple. And here we go. Jesus fulfilled both. He fulfilled the moral law, which, remember, the moral law is based in God's holiness, his justice, uh, and his unchanging nature, that he's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus fulfilled the moral law by living a perfect, sinless life. So that means that Jesus, the Son of God, did not in any way, shape, or form, not mentally, not through his words or through his actions, did he ever once disobey the Father. Matter of fact, everything he did was in obedience to the Father. He kept the law. So he fulfilled the moral law and the ceremonial law by offering himself as the sinless Lamb of God. So what Jesus did is he abolished them by fulfilling them. He became those for us. Because you know what? No matter how hard I try, I cannot fulfill the law of God. Because even if I can you know, con you know, control my own actions so that I look good on the outside, 
or if I can control what I say so that I only say that which is good. The thing is, is that God even knows my mind. He knows my heart. He knows what I think from any moment to the next. See, that's why we're all guilty of God's law, because we at least, at a bare minimum, have thought something we shouldn't have thought. Whether we've said something or done something is another thing altogether, but if I were to have everyone raise their hand, or maybe have everyone who's kept God's law perfectly raise their hand, uh, that would probably be the thing that would be a whole lot more comfortable for everyone else in here, including myself. But see, that's what Jesus did. He fulfilled both, thereby abolishing the law and commandments and ordinances because he became them. He fulfilled them to the, the nth degree. And what did he do? Uh, it says here um, in verse 15, it says, By abolishing the law and commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. So what changes is our identity is no longer in whether we are a Jew or a Gentile. doesn't mean we, we, we erase who we are ethnically. No. But that's no longer a separation between us and God. Because how God sees us is through Christ. Christ becomes our identity. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. He is our Reconciler. He is the one new man in place of the two. So when the father looks at me, a Gentile, what he sees is a son of God who's been redeemed by the blood of his son. And any Jew that is here, what God sees is he sees a son or a daughter of God that has been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. See, the thing is, is that salvation is for every individual who puts their faith and trust in Christ, no matter what they are, ethnically, spiritually, because what Jesus has done is he has broken down and abolished all of that in himself. That's why he had to come. That's why we cannot save ourselves. That's why Jesus is the only way. Romans 10, 12, and 13 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Think about all of the separation. Think about the sin that separated you from God. Think about the sins that actually separate you even from people here on earth. Sometimes the things that we think or the, the, the lens through which we look at life even separates us from our Christian brothers and sisters. See, that shouldn't be because Christ has made us one because our identity is now in him. It's not in the differences that man makes. It is not in the difference between a holy God and a sinful man because our identity is in Christ who frees us from that sin, who makes the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate payment for my sin and your sin so that what was two is now one. We're one with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because of the one new man, Christ. So Jesus is our peace, but he's also our peacemaker. Look at verse 16. 
says, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Who does the reconciling? God does through Jesus Christ. And notice, again, the repetitiveness of the words back in verse 14. Who has made us both one? Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God. Again, erasing the separations, not erasing who we are, but taking down any barrier that may be there as God sees us through his son. Through the cross, as it says here in verse 16. And the word reconcile here is also in the aorist tense. So it is uh, a completed action. So the reconciliation has taken place. So when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled. So there's nothing you can do to undo it because remember, salvation belongs to God. It is not yours to attain or to keep. Christ is the one who provides salvation, and he is the one through the Spirit that keeps it because we've been reconciled. And see, the word reconcile in Greek here means to change from one condition to another, okay, dead to alive, so as to remove all enmity and leave no impediment to unity and peace. Man, our English language falls short, doesn't it? Because that's the definition of that Greek word there. Reconcile. Let me read it again. To change from one condition to another so as to remove all, not some, all enmity and leave no impediment to unity and peace. That is why Jesus is the source of our peace. Because he removes it all. There is nothing left behind. It's all been paid for in full. See, man cannot reconcile himself to God. So how did God accomplish this? I'm actually a slide ahead here. It was on the previous one. I didn't mark my notes this morning. Yes, that's right. All right. So here, it's right here on the slide. So how did God accomplish this? Notice. Okay. And we're going to back up. We're going to go to verse 13 first. He, he accomplished this reconciliation by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, in his flesh. Verse 16, through the cross. Do you see why it's imperative that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, come? Because the only way that you're reconciled is by the blood of Christ through his flesh on the cross. That's how you're made right with God. Nothing else will suffice. Nothing else will do. And it says there also at the end of verse 16, thereby killing the hostility. Killing it. And guess what? What tense is the word killing in Greek? Aorist. It's a completed action. So your hostility is dead to God because Jesus Christ has made you alive. You're no longer hostile towards God. But the thing is, is when we think about this, we have to remember the, the, you know, who we were before. The fact that we need to be reconciled to God means that we were once alienated from God to begin with, hostile, having a hatred for God and his ways. And that is how man is apart from God. No amount of packaging and making it look pretty or thinking that you're better than someone else as you look at others who are worse than you are to somehow elevate yourself is going to change the truth about who you are in God's eyes. You hated God in his ways apart from Christ. You may have believed in your mind that God existed, 
He may have come to church week after week. But the truth of the fact of the matter is, unless you know Jesus Christ, God's son, salvifically, have trusted in him solely for your salvation, can you be reconciled to God? Listen to what James says in relation to who we are apart from God. In James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So everyone apart from God is an enemy of God. Everyone who is part of this world and the system of this world is an enemy of God. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why Jesus Christ is the only one who can reconcile us. Paul also, in his letter to the church at Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, also sums this up beautifully. He says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, speaking of Jesus Christ, and through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. See, what Jesus is doing is he's qualifying you to be in the presence of the God who is holy, holy, holy for all of eternity. And the only way that can happen is through the blood of Christ. Because we are alienated from God. We are hostile toward God in our minds and in our actions. That's why we needed a Savior. And anyone that tells you that you can do it yourself, that you don't need a Savior, that there are multiple ways to God, is a liar. And the truth is not in them. Because this is the truth. Apart from Jesus Christ, there's no other way. For you to be presented holy and blameless, above reproach before God the Father. Apart from Jesus, I am not even close to being holy. He killed the hostility. He put it to death. He put it to rest once for all. And the reason we know that is because God the Father raised him from the dead. So Jesus is our peace. He is our peacemaker. And finally, in verse 18, he's our passport. I don't know if anybody else has one of these. This is a passport. It has a very ugly picture of me in here because they tell you not to smile when you take your picture. That's so that no you know, border guard can think that you're you know, a nice person. So they don't have you smile. So I'll let you look at it if you want, but it's a pretty gnarly-looking face. <laughs> Little younger guy in there. Still no hair, but it's all right. But this passport... When I leave the United States of America to go to another country, which when I was in Alaska, we were 40 miles from the Canadian border, and often we would go up into Canada uh, to, to go to uh, some, enjoy some of the things that were uh, in Whitehorse. The interesting thing is, is that um, I would have to show this passport as I was entering Canada, so that they would keep record of it, they would scan it. But in order for me to get back into Haines, to get back into the United States of America, guess what? 
I needed this passport right here. Otherwise, you know, they don't know who I am. And even still, they make you feel about this tall, even with this book, when you come to the border, because they almost make you feel like you're hiding something. But that's their job, is to make sure that everyone who enters the United States, at least at one point, yeah, yeah, they used to do that. Well, I can sure I can guarantee you they still do that at the Canadian border. Just, yeah, we won't go there. <laughs> but this passport, which took a, a, a lot of paperwork for me to get, says that I was born in the United States of America, that I'm a U.S. citizen, and that I have all the privileges, the rights of a, a citizen of the United States of America. That's my passport. That gets me back into the country that I love and the country that I was born into. Well, see, the thing is, Jesus is also our passport in a different way because he is the one who is our passport to heaven. And apart from him, we do not gain access because we are not holy. We are not above reproach. We are not blameless apart from Jesus Christ. He is our passport. Notice what it says in verse 18. For through him, through Jesus, we both, again, there's those two words again, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So Jesus is our passport to get us into heaven. And without Jesus, there is no lawful entry into God's perfect heaven, into the presence of the God who is holy, holy, holy. See, it is not through, uh, it is now through Jesus and not through Judaism that we come to God. See, at one point when it was the Jews, God's chosen people, unless you became a, a part of Judaism, you had no access to God. Because God, again, the temple, you know, which we saw pictures of, would come down into the Holy of Holies. And that is where God you know, visited with his people. And what would happen is, is if you were a Gentile and wanted to, to know the God of all, you would have to become a Jew. You would have to be circumcised. You'd have to, to become, you know, a proselyte so that you could be part of that. Well, Jesus Christ erased all of that because he became all of that for everyone who trusts him. And I love this, and I don't know if you even noticed it as I read the verse. Let me read it again. For through him, so Jesus, we both have access in one spirit, notice it's capitalized, to the Father. This verse here shows the entire Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being involved as uh, part of the salvation uh, process. And I'm not sure if that's the right word, but um, the gift of salvation, let's put it that way. They're all involved. It's through Jesus in one spirit to the Father. And I like what Adam Clark said in his commentary. Let me read this to you in relation to this text. He says, this text is a plain proof of the Holy Trinity. Jews and Gentiles are to be presented unto God the, uh, the Father. The Spirit of God works in their hearts and prepares them for this presentation, and Jesus Christ himself introduces them. No soul can have access to God but by Jesus Christ, and he introduces none but such as received his Holy Spirit. All who receive that Spirit are equally dear to him. And whatever their names be among men, they are known in heaven as children of God and heirs of eternal glory. Isn't that beautiful? God loved us that much 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The thing is, if we try to circumvent salvation, trying to do it our own way to try and get you know, in and around somehow, guess what? It's not going to work. You know, there were probably points of entry into uh, Alaska that I could have gone around the border station if I really wanted to trek over mountain passes and snow to enter the United States illegally. I never did that. Make sure it's on record. I'm being recorded. I never did that. I'm going to make sure I don't want people showing up at my house. The thing is, is that we can't do that in relation to heaven. There's no other way. Jesus is the passport. The Spirit is the one who works in our hearts all to bring us to the Father. Access, this word access in Greek only appears three times in the New Testament. Right here in this verse, later on in in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. And then again in Romans chapter 5. So Paul's the only one that uses this particular Greek word. It says in uh, Romans 5, 2, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his, this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So this access that we have as sons and daughters of God, as, as um, Adam Clark put it, you know, whatever our name is here on earth, However you know me, however I know you, in relation to heaven, we're all children of God. Those who have put their faith and trust in Christ alone. So that means there's those that are not children of God. There are those that are not going to have access to God the Father. Because they don't know Jesus Christ, God's Son, who is not only our peace, our peacemaker, but our passport. We have been granted access and are able to approach the holy, holy, holy God of all. Amen? Amen. 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 So how does this inform our lives today? I'm going to take you to one text, and with this I close. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So if you know Jesus Christ today, you're a new creation. You are not like you used to be. The old has passed away. As the verse goes on to say, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Notice verse 18. All this is from God. Not from man, not from your own doing. All of this is from God. So the reason you're a new creation is because of God. And we've seen the reasons why this morning. But it says there in verse 18, And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us, and here's the application, he's gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That doesn't mean that I can reconcile anyone to God, but I do have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there's salvation in Christ, that Christ can reconcile you to God. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, entrusting to those who know Jesus Christ, those who know his peace, that know Jesus is the peacemaker, that have the passport to eternity in heaven with God, experiencing eternal life forever. He's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Guess what? 
God could have done it any way he wanted. But he chose those who have experienced salvation, who have experienced grace, who have experienced mercy through God's son to be those who go and tell others about it. So my question to you this morning is, do you tell others about it? Do you realize that God entrusted to you, so that means you're a steward of the gospel good news. He entrusted it to you. Just like God entrusted it to the Sunday school teacher that, you know, told me of my need of salvation, where I repented and trusted Christ for my uh, salvation when I was five years old in 1975. God's entrusted the message of reconciliation to you and I. So what are you doing about it? Do the people you know know that you know Jesus Christ? They should. They should see it in your actions, in your words, your work ethic. Because we shouldn't be like the rest of the world, and we've been given a message of reconciliation. They need Jesus Christ. Because otherwise, when they stand before God the Father, they will receive the just rewards, the just desserts, the just wages of their sin before a holy, holy, holy God. And see, that's what makes grace and mercy so beautiful. We look at the cross and we remember it is a symbol of shame, but for us that are being saved, it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And I know you know people who do not know Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in our current culture, in our country today, much of what is going on shows, without a shadow of a doubt, man's hatred of God, man's hatred of God's word. The the very thing that they need is to be at peace with God. And therefore, that will make them um, able to have peace with God here on earth with one another, to be able to forgive as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus, to be able to do things that are impossible to man but are possible with the God who made you. So my challenge to you this morning is is to make sure that you, as a steward of the message of reconciliation, do not just keep that to yourself. Don't bury it in the ground but instead take it out because God is still changing people's lives for eternity through Christ. I know that. He's doing it right here in our midst. And the last Sunday of June, we'll see and hear of five that have trusted Christ, two of which have been in the last year, of how God changed their hearts for all of eternity. So make sure that you, as one who has been entrusted with the message of reconciliation, truly takes it out there and lets people know about it. See every opportunity of interaction with other people as an opportunity to be a reconciler. Because God entrusted it with you and with me. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for uh, this text this morning. We thank you for just the beautiful picture uh, as Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, your Spirit, 
pen these words for us to see that there's only peace through Jesus Christ. That he is our passport. He is the one that, that brings us into the very throne room, your throne room. And apart from him, we have no access. There's no back doors. There's no illegal entry. God's not going to look around all of a sudden and say, oops, I didn't know that they were here. Because you know every heart. And if sin was acceptable in your sight, then Jesus Christ, your son, did not need to die. But see, your holiness tells us otherwise. Your holiness shows us pierces to the very core of who we are. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that does not know your son, maybe they've been striving in their own strength, maybe they have been trying to do it their own way, hoping that it would be enough, that today they can know with surety that Jesus Christ is all they need, and that they would repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, the one who is the reconciler, the one who gives us access, the one who can be our peace, give us peace, and be the peace that reconciles us so that we are no longer an enemy of yours, but a friend, actually a son or a daughter. We thank you for these truths today, and we ask that they would transform our thinking, our speech, and our actions. In Jesus' name, amen.